Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lecturing-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Ali McMillan and I'm a Methodist deacon and I'm based at Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. I'm a member of the Methodist Diaconal Order, as all Methodist deacons are, which is a religious order which brings a sense of rhythm and wholeness to my life. My biggest passion in ministry is coming alongside people where they are and journeying with them as they discover God at work in their lives. Before I came into ministry, I was a, a secondary school and sixth form a religious studies teacher teaching uh, religious studies and ethics. Uh, so each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today I'm really pleased to introduce the Reverend Charmaine Mahanga. Uh, Charmaine is a serving as a newly accredited Baptist minister at Sundon Park Baptist Church in Luton. She's a student governor at Spurgeon's College and Charmaine holds a master's degree in Christian thought and practice, uh, professional ministry and practice and a BSc honours in health and social care and various other qualifications and experience in the field of health and social care. Charmaine is a part of the Baptist Union Radical Justice Hub and Churches Together Luton Racial Commission. Uh, Charmaine is part of Equip, a course aimed at equipping 18 to 30 year olds to lead with confidence and humility in God's church. Charmaine has interests and involvement with matters of racial equality and justice, immigration and asylum, quality control and quality assurance, leadership, science and technology, mentoring, coaching and training. So a huge, vast array of interest to bring with us. Uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Charmaine. Thank you, Ali. It's it's really a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here. So I really am thankful for the opportunity. We really look forward to what you're going to share with us. Uh, we know that politics and uh, the pulpit can be a bit of a contentious topic sometimes, uh, but we believe that it's essential that the world around us speaks into our churches. I want to show me when you hear people uh, saying that politics should not be a part of our preaching, uh, how do you respond to them? Well, I like to always respond by asking another question uh, that says, is God interested with people? And he is. And is God interested in people where they are? Again, he is. So whether you're in politics, whether you're in education, uh, whether you're working in health, wherever you are, God is concerned about the places that people find themselves and how they serve in those spheres and indeed how they work there. So in terms of politics and the pulpit, I think there is definitely a, a place for it, but it has to align with the word of God uh, rather than human beings' uh, opinions. Because as we know, different people that do serve in ministry will belong to different political parties. And so I don't believe that the pulpit is a place for people to almost like share what their political uh, affiliations are, but rather to explore the different themes um, that people are experiencing in their life from the context um, and rooted, being rooted and grounded in God's word. So yeah, mm -hmm. definitely there is a place for politics in the pulpit. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, I, we're obviously relieved to hear <laughs> that's what you think, but, but I love that starting that actually God is interested in where people are and that's, uh, that's really helpful, thank you. Uh, well, each week I ask my JPIC colleagues for a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we might be keeping an eye on in the news this week. Uh, and they've uh, made two suggestions this week that um, firstly, a new suspect has been named in the murder of Stephen Lawrence 30 years after his death. Mm. Um, a big thing for the family. 
um, and for justice, of course. Uh, and that there's been a mutiny against the Russian military by the Wagner um, mercenary group. Um, and that's uh, sort of quite a fast moving uh, news story with uh, developments happening all the mm. time. Uh, but I wanted to know from your uh, context, what are the key justice issues or political events that you've been wanting to keep an eye on for us? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think the the case of the Stephen Lawrence um, news suspect, it's it's very key, especially in this season that we're in now. Um, as you know, uh, Windrush celebrated the 75th anniversary. And it, it just goes to show you how discrimination continues to play a very significant role in the legislature that's, um, that's there. So any developments where a suspect is found and more so convicted does then provide that place that at least action is being done and that there's a way forward in terms of repairing the hurt. And one of the things that has been quite key and pertinent is that aspect of what does true repentance look like? Um, because obviously it's taken this amount of time for another suspect to come, but how is that suspect in terms of how they feel? Are they remorseful um, about what has happened if they are found to be guilty? And, and where is the place of repentance and true, genuine, authentic repentance? So I guess that would be one of those key areas that I tend to, to look towards because if we're going to be people that are reconciled to one another and that our hurts are, are heard, are understood, there has to be a place for, for genuine uh, repentance rather than just simply saying, oh yeah, it's happened. So where is the place for, for genuine repentance? Uh, and not necessarily waiting until you get caught, but actually coming forward to, to speak about those things. Um, so that's one of the things I'd be quite interested and keen in looking at the, the situation in Russia. Uh, again, what's always so important uh, when we're responding to the issues of around justice, we need to understand that the media that feeds us with information about politics will then um, almost give us a, a narrative that we have to follow. So I find it's always helpful, again, when we're engaging with matters of politics, with justice, um, we mustn't be limited to one particular media brand or one particular style of reporting, but we need to have a holistic view of what's happening. So not only looking at mainstream television, but what is being said on social media, uh, on, on the different platforms of social media that are there. What are the articles that are being written from the different perspectives so that people can have a, a well-rounded um, and informed narrative of what actually is taking place because when politics is when we look at politics it's characterized by our listening it's characterized by the compassion that we bring to that listening and sometimes we're not listening to respond but we're listening to understand what actually is happening on the ground whose voices are we hearing in this narrative that's being reported who are the voices that we're not hearing? Who are the invisible people in this narrative? So that's, again, quite important if we're looking at matters of justice and exploring the topics that are um, in our news this week. Well, thank you so much, Jess. Whose voices are we hearing? And so many of us <clears throat> do get our news from, from one place or the same places um, and don't have that, that broader vision of what's being said and what the perspectives are. So uh, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll get a, a rich, uh, a rich conversation this morning. If you're bringing some of that to us, absolutely. Uh, but I, 
add that 26th of June is the International Day in Support of Victims of Torture. Mm. Um, people want to, to know uh, as they're considering their preaching. And that the readings for this Sunday, the 2nd of July, are Psalm 89, verses 1 to 4 and 15. Mm. Jeremiah 8, 5 to 9. Romans 6, 12 to 23. And Matthew 10, 40 to 42. And so with our metaphorical newspapers open in one hand, let's turn to our Bibles. And Charmaine, I wonder if there was a particular passage or theme or question that jumped out at you that you wanted to start us with this week. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I went for the Gospels. Um, love starting in, in the Gospels. And I went to, to Matthew uh, 10, uh, 40 to 42. Um, and I take it this is going to be read or uh, would I be OK just to read it? Easy, yeah, yeah sure. So I'm, I'm reading from the NRSV uh, uh, translation. So it says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. And the, the key word that kept jumping at me in that passage is the word welcome. And um, the current UN Secretary General, uh, Antonio Guterres, um, writes this uh, statement. He says, torturers must never be allowed to get away with their crimes and systems that enable torture should be dismantled or transformed. And so it's a very good place to start. But then let's look at the word itself, welcome. W what does it mean? So. We live in the UK and we say that we're a predominantly welcoming country. We, we welcome people from all sorts of walks of life, but how again, authentic and genuine is our welcome? Going back again to um, the accounts that we were sharing, uh, who is seen, who is not seen, who is welcome and who is not welcome. Again, when we go back to politics and we look at media and how things are presented in the media, uh, you hear words like asylum seekers, refugees, illegal immigrants as the narrative that is being used. And so where is that place of welcome within the country, especially where people are, are fleeing torture and are looking for a place of refuge? And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that as believing Christians, we've all needed to come to that place where we acknowledge ourselves as asylum seekers in need of refuge and we can only find our refuge in God and through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And so who, I'll, I'll have to start from the church because the Bible even says, you know, the judgment first starts in, in the house of God. So there has to be a genuine introspection within the church that asks the question, who is welcome here? Who is not welcome here? How is it that some churches could welcome a refugee from Ukraine, but not want to house somebody from Iran or Iraq or from Africa? So how do we choose who to welcome and who not to welcome in light of those things that we're doing? And so when we're looking at, at welcome, that's, again, for me, it's that key to say, who is welcome? 
who is not welcome, who are those people that we would rather not have. But yet, are we reflecting that from a biblical perspective when Jesus says, okay, this is the greatest commandment that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything that you are. And you also love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is everyone that I'm going to encounter, whether they are a refugee, whether they are my neighbor who is from a different country, whoever God allows to come into my life or cross my path, that is my neighbor. And so I guess the question is to ask, how welcoming are we? And I guess it has to start first and foremost from the church, because the church has got to be that example of what true genuine welcome is. And probably just to draw this part for me to a close, um, we had the Windrush um, service, celebration service this Sunday. And one of the families there, they were sharing that they had gone to a, a particular Christian denomination. They had gone to church and they enjoyed worship. Everything was well. But then afterwards, the minister came to them and said, thank you for coming, but we don't want to see you here again. And so you can imagine the pain and the frustration to say, but we thought that God's house is a house for every nation, tribe and tongue. So how is it that just because I don't look like you, I don't fit? So where, where is the welcome there? Yeah, so just some of the thoughts, Ali, that, that I have. That's wonderful. Thank you. And and that story that you finished with is echoed, isn't it? Again and again, a, a lady here um, at the church here told the story of her mother who went to the local church when she arrived in this country and was told exactly the same thing. The black church is the one down the road. Yeah. And as you say, how how is that representing uh, what the Bible tells us the churches should be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, deep questions for churches to be asking themselves and for certainly for a preacher to, to get stuck into as they consider the welcome that they offer. Any, anything else on that passage? Is there anything... I was about to ask, is there anything difficult for us to wrestle with? But there's plenty that you've given us <laughs> difficult for us to wrestle with. Yeah, um, it, it, I, I think um, the second part for me, so you've got the welcome, which, which was really striking. But the second part for me was the hospitality, the offering of a cup of cold water. So I'm from Zimbabwe, born and bred. And whenever a visitor or even a stranger just passed by my grandmom's um, farm, the first thing that you always offered a person was a cup of water. So we were blessed and fortunate enough to have a well um, at my grandmom's farm. And the water was always so sweet and fresh. Yeah, really great water. And they say that the number of frogs that you have in the well will determine the sweetness of the water. So we did have a couple of frogs in there. But yet there was that sense of welcome that sees the other person as you see them. So we hear of either people call it a philosophy, some people call it a theology of Ubuntu, uh, that is I am because you are and we are together. And so I've always been taught growing up that regardless of how a person looks, their abilities, whether they have disabilities, I need to see them the way that God sees them. I see them in the image of God having been created by God. So I extend hospitality. And sometimes I think when I came to, to this country, the issue of hospitality uh, was a, a bit daunting to some people because in Zimbabwe, you don't need to phone somebody and tell them, oh, Ali, uh, I'll be coming to your house. Will you be there? 
no, I'll just rock up. I'm like, Ali, how are you? How are things going? And I'm going, please, I don't turn up at my house. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll definitely turn up at your house when I know you're going to be having dinner. And so so you know that most uh, most of the people in this country will have their dinner or their supper at a set time. And so in Zimbabwe, most of the visitors that would come, they would come because they know you're either having lunch or you're having your supper or you're having your dinner. And so that sense of hospitality, um, we've always been taught when you cook, you don't cook enough just for the people that are in the household. You always make room to cook for a stranger who might make their way um, into the farm. And so that's something that I've always grown up with. And so again, coming back to uh, about from the political perspective, because we're talking about politics um, in the pulpit, what does hospitality look like? Again, in the houses of parliament, who is welcome there to come and have a drink? So we know that um, once a, a year, you've got your MP going there with um, either a member of the local church um, for, for a gathering together, just to see how the church and the government can work together and inspire one another. So for me, that's that sense of hospitality being extended, but also on the opposite side is, does the church invite its local MP, its local counselor to say, look, we know you're doing a very hard job. Maybe some people I know would disagree with the current state of politics in this country, but yet we're still called to pray for those who are in authority and for those who are in leadership. And so in terms of the church extending its hospitality, why not invite the local um, MP to say, look, uh, we're having a barbecue. Uh, we just want you to come and we want to, we want to bless you. We want to pray for you. Actually, we want to ask, what can we do as the church to make your life easier? Even if we know that um, that minister that is, does not belong to the same political group that the minister does. And again, it comes back to that thing that the church is for all. It's not just for people who are from the different political parties and the spectrums. The church is for all and all are invited. And so how does, again, the church show hospitality to those who are in leadership to say, you know, come, let's talk, let's pray for you. How can we help you in this context? So hospitality becomes key, but yet we know that it's not always easy to be hospitable. And so that's why I think the Bible is, is has gone for one of the things that can be so refreshing after walking a, a long distance to go to where you want to go to. And you say to somebody, can I give you a cup of water? And even sometimes we don't even ask, we just go and get the water have it on a tray and we extend the cup of cold water with two hands, which is to evidence that look, I, I acknowledge you as, as a human being. And so I respect you. So that element of hospitality and respect and extending kindness to the stranger is something as well that we need to be exploring. And politics has got a lot to learn from the church. And I believe that when the church is moving in the way that God wants her to move, she will make great strides in changing the narrative of the politics that we have, because Jesus says, you know, by your fruits, you will be known. And I love Jesus in the fact that he prays for the church. He prays that, look, I pray that you may be one, just me and as me and my father are one. I pray that we may be one as well, so that the world will know that, you know, that God is the one that has sent him. So, and the church has got such a witness to do to the world of politics and that's my prayer that the church can be really 
who God has called it to be. And we will see a change in the narrative of the politics that we, we see in this country and indeed uh, across the world. Yes, when the church is, is showing its best, and as you say, being fruitful in the world, that, that, will, that will hopefully change. I love how you, how you flipped that narrative there and said, you know, uh, churches need to be being hospitable to their MPs. And that's quite a challenge for some churches, I think. So uh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this gospel passage before we have a look at one or two of the others? I know a lot of people, when I guess when you do read the passage, it, it talks about rewards, being rewarded for doing something. Um, again, when we correlate that with politics, some politicians are in it because of the rewards that they will get, uh, uh, the remunerations, the, the prestige, the power uh, that comes with it, uh, those places of, of influence. But yet it's, it's, it's a different narrative for the one who does welcome, the one who comes in the name of the Lord in that, again, we're not seeking the reward per se as to why we do what we do. We're doing it because we love the one who has sent us to do what he's asking us to do. So as, as Christians, there's always that danger that when we do things, we're doing it because we want to get accolades. Um, we want to get praises from people to say that, oh, wow, you're doing such an amazing job. Oh, this is so good of you that, you know, you extend welcome. But I guess a, a word that has really been constant in, in my mind um, in, in recent weeks is, is that word authenticity. Am I doing what I'm doing because I know that there's a reward attached to it? Or am I doing it because I'm actually genuine enough in wanting to extend the welcome, to extend the hospitality? We would ask the question, what's in it for me? And am I doing it because there's something in it for me or am I doing it because genuinely I'm coming from that heart of love and that heart of genuineness, of kindness, of compassion um, that seeks the, the best for whoever I'm going to encounter. So, yeah, there's so much that we can say about this scripture because it comes at the end of a whole narrative that Jesus has, has been talking. So it's almost like the penultimate uh, of, of, of what's taking place. And, and he's just saying, look, you know, whoever welcomes you, welcomes me and welcomes my father who sent me. So it's it's like, yeah, that great last speech that Jesus is saying, welcome is at the heart of it. Hospitality is at the heart of it. Yes, rewards will come. I mean, who wouldn't want a prophet's reward? And I, I mean, when we look at the, the prophets in the Old Testament, how they had such encounters with God and that they heard from God. And um, I, I often read... Um, Abraham Herschel, who's since passed away, and, and he talks a lot about how current the political narrative can learn so much from the prophets of, of old. And if people, going back to the question, do we see politics in the pulpit together? I, I would say, Abraham Herschel would say, definitely politics should be then the pulpit. And if the church was prophetic enough and moving in that prophetic role, I, I'm sure a number of us would have been arrested because we would have said something that stands against different governments, but we would do it because we know that we're standing on the truth of God's word, where we're seeking justice for people that do need it. Um, and maybe just um, a snippet on this one, because I'm, I'm a foreigner, I'm from Zimbabwe. So if I was to be involved in a demonstration and I get arrested, 
I will be treated differently than somebody who is born from this country in that they would say that I'm not being useful to the society and I'm causing a threat to the country such that the narrative could be taken then that I'm actually a terrorist because I'm demonstrating. And so I have these conversations with some of my white allies who say, actually, we will go out and we will do the demonstration you write the articles, you do the praying, and we will go on. So again, something needs to be said uh, around those issues in terms of then speaking up uh, about welcome, about hospitality, especially about welcoming the stranger. If I do go out and demonstrate, I'm a terrorist. But if my white ally goes out, it's like, okay, they're freedom of speech, they're making their voices known. So how do we, again, navigate those waters to ensure that we're all treated equally, even regardless from the countries that we come from. Something there about working together, but as you say, also challenging the unjust system that says that I can I can protest about climate change, for example, but yeah. you can't. That yeah, yeah, it feels very unjust, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Imagine what a rich conversation we can have over just two two verses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Um wonderful, Charmaine. So um great looking at that very rich gospel uh, reading and so much so so much in there for us to really be challenged with and it's interesting to me that you started off by talking about having an authentic welcome and uh, finished off talking about having authenticity um in in hospitality and how we how we welcome others and not wanting reward um uh, would you like to have a look at one of the other readings uh, for this week yeah, I'm going to go to the Romans 6 reading. It looks like I'm staying in the New Testament. <laughs> That's okay. okay. Yeah. I'm to just get drawn to particular places. And uh, then again, yeah. there's Romans yeah. passage as well, isn't there, to be? Yes. Yeah. And I, I think when, when you read Paul, he's he's quite profound in, in the things that, um, that he does speak about. And you're thinking, wow. So we're in Romans 6, uh, verses 12 to 23. And again, I'm reading from the NRSV. And it says, therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey your passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are under, since you are under, since you're not under law, but under grace. What then should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to greater and greater iniquity. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. 
So what advantage did you then get from the things which you now, which you now are ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's very poor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it is like him. And and, and then I love the, the way that he's saying, look, I'm speaking to you from a natural perspective because you might not necessarily understand that the deeper truths in this, but reflecting on, on, on this passage, is the idea of becoming a slave to God. We understand uh, again throughout the history that unfortunately the Bible was used as part of the colonial era to colonize people, bringing them the word saint, them that it was okay to be slaves because the Bible um, advocates slavery. And yet that wasn't the truth of, of God's word. Uh, I almost look at it like this way, where we are now in, in an age of technology, uh, where I believe that we have authorized intrusion of things like artificial intelligence, because we have it in everything that we do from our smartphones to smart TVs, to all the different platforms and um, chat GTP, which is um, one of the hot things at the moment. But yet when you reflect, on the colonial era, it, again, there was that sense of welcome. So I'm from Zimbabwe, so we were colonized by the British. And when the British came initially, we didn't have any bad feelings towards them because naturally we were welcoming people. And so when the things that they started to do in, in terms of segregating, taking the, the fertile lands, and, and they're now telling somebody who owns the land that they now have to pay to the landlord or they have, if they don't pay rent, they would have to move away from the property. Then you're thinking, how, how does this happen from somebody that we welcomed uh, in, into our home? Uh, it's like, I come to your house, uh, Ali, and I kick you out of your own bedroom. And I'm like, this is gonna be my bedroom now. And in fact, Ali, um, you need to go and stay outside in the servants quarters. And then I'm going to just take over your house. How does that happen? How, how does that welcome then get used to segregate, to harm, to kill, to discriminate, to destroy? And so becoming slaves to God, it means then that we are acknowledging, first and foremost, the nature of our sin, that we're all fallen human beings. The word of God does say, doesn't it? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what does it mean for me to be a slave to God? It means that I'm submitting myself to the one who is created, to the one who knows me intimately. And I'm submitting not necessarily out of fear, because perfect love casts out fear. And we know that God has loved us with the perfect love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so then it then comes back to say, if I am going to be a slave of God, it means that I'm going to be obedient to the ways, to the teachings of God. So I'm reflecting, how does God treat those that are, that have accepted him, that are walking alongside him? We understand from the scriptures that as we walk with God, he gives us his Holy Spirit 
the Bible reminds us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he's the one that continues to teach us and remind us of the things that Christ has taught us. But then again, still in the same passage, we, we can take it again as, as a stick to beat people over. Uh, again, there's an element of Christianity that can be so self-righteous that when we look at the politicians, wherever they may be, whether it's a country that is rife with corruption or nepotism, we want to beat those people with a stick and say that, you know, you are, are not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're sinners and you're going to die. But yet we forget that we too have sinned. And there's that requirement on us to be ministers of reconciliation in, in those places again. And reconciliation, I believe, starts again with the place of authentic welcome. It, it starts again from a place of authentic hospitality. Because even if I might not agree with my MP, I might not agree with the local councillor, I might not um, agree with um, our, our king, but the moment that I show him a welcome that is loving, that is compassionate, we can meet at the table. I, I love um, the story of Jesus with his disciples um, at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, I've really eagerly wanted to sit with you guys and, and share with you this thing. And I believe, again, as Christians, we don't stay long enough at the Lord's table to really understand what it means to be welcomed, to understand what it is to have that hospitality extended to us so that we can extend that to others. But again, a beautiful passage. We could say so much about Paul, but I've just tried to keep it quite simple because we can go deep. We can be very profound with, with this scripture. And I believe the current climate that we are in in the world, it, it needs for us to keep the word of God simple, to keep the word of God uh, relevant for our time, to make it approachable to people who are going to hear it, because I'm sure, Ali, you're, you're an amazing theologian. I'm, I'm a learning theologian, uh, and we could spin things. We could talk about the different contexts, about so many things from a theological perspective. But uh, one of the questions that we were exploring um, when we were looking at this um, session today was to say, what kind of a preaching style would we then use? And I, I like a preaching style that dialogues with the person that I am serving. So rather than having a, a group of people that are just muted and I'm just muttering and muttering and muttering, people just mute, then that's not it. I need to be able to dialogue with those people that are in the congregation that are experiencing the issues with politics that are experiencing the issues that are happening in Ukraine, in Russia, with the NHS, with the cost of living, with mortgage rates almost trebling for some people. And so it's that place for, for the dialogue that is required. I'm, there's been so much in there, Charmaine. Thank you so much. So rich, as you were saying, but, but not, as you say, not complicated, you know, enabling people to engage with what could be quite a complicated scripture um, that people could feel a bit overwhelmed if you were preaching it, but that kind of accessible and I love that idea of uh, a preaching style which is a dialogue which enables people to engage with what we're saying um so thank you very much for that kind of way in which might be very helpful for some of our preachers mm -hmm. who are, who are listening or watching who are wanting to just find that way in um, and also I think it's really important that you started that by um, acknowledging how <clears throat> the word slavery is is problematic and it and it brings all sorts of baggage with it and actually you know when we're using and preaching on these passages we need to acknowledge don't we some of the challenges mm -hmm. um, 
they bring and and then opening it up into what the word of God says and how that's very different to how humans have sometimes used that word. So I think that's, again, a really important point to have to started with before. And that's a very rich, uh, rich um, reflection that you've brought on that passage. Uh, just you. before we was there anything else that you that you kind of really wanted to get a chance to say um that you've not had opportunity to i mean you've said a huge amount it's been so useful but just always like to make sure that people have an opportunity if there's anything else that they wanted to say that they had an opportunity to do that absolutely thank you ali because it is a good opportunity uh, again going back to uh the media that feeds us with the information that informs the narrative of the political spectrum that's there Again, I, I would encourage people, don't just watch the same news, the same broadcasters, um, explore uh, the different um, platforms that are there. So as I said, I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe and uh, a lot is not being spoken about Zimbabwe at the moment. So we're going to be having elections in August um, and there, there's already a, a lot of trouble happening in Zimbabwe, but because it's not being reported People just think, no, everything is fine. And um, a, a few months ago, we had um, almost, it's been a year now, we had a, a young woman called More Blessing Ali, who was killed by a suspected um, individual who was affiliated to the country's current um, government. And when she was murdered, what they did is that they cut up her body into pieces and then threw her body into a well. Um, and eventually her body was found and she still hasn't been buried because the family were like, the people who did this need to be brought to justice. Mm -hmm. And the leading lawyer, Job Sikala, who has been fighting for her case, was subsequently arrested for seeking for justice for more blessing Ali. And Job Sikala has been in prison now for over a year. And at times he has been denied medical treatment that he needs because um, he's on prescription medication and, and that hasn't been given to him in a timely manner. And so you can see where the judicial and the legal system has been taken over by a government that seeks to frighten people, that seeks to really threaten the, the livelihoods of, of people. And one of the things that I'm asking people to pray for Zimbabwe is that there can be a restoration of people's dignity to see the other person as you see yourself. So be it your daughter, be it your husband, your wife, your sister, your brother, we need to see each other as human beings because the moment that we cease to see each other as people, we start to see each other as things and maybe just to reflect back in the Bible, um, if you remember the account of, of Adam and Eve, uh, and when Eve had uh, eaten of the fruit and gave it to, to Adam, uh, what does Adam say to God? He says, this woman that you gave me. And so by essence of that, you can see that Adam is calling Eve a thing. This woman, she, she's now become a thing. She is no longer that image of beauty, that bone of my bone, that flesh of my flesh. She's become a thing. And once a person becomes a thing. You can do anything to a thing. You can kick a thing, you can discard a thing, you can destroy a thing because you don't see that thing as, as you. And so if we can pray for Zimbabwe that there can be that restoration of, of human dignity. And going back again to what Antonio Gutierrez is saying, surely places where torture is taking place, these governments need to be dismantled and transformed. And so if Christians do not find themselves in politics, the same policies, the same mechanisms, the same systems will continue to 
to be the status quo, mm -hmm. but the light needs to shine. As, as the Bible says, you cannot put a light under a bushel. It, it, has, to, it has to show its light. So I, I would say, and I would definitely say Christians need to be in politics wherever they find themselves and really bring that light of Christ into those situations. So again, we need to just make sure we are aware of what's happening in the world. We need to know what's still continuing to happen in Darfur, in Rwanda, the different places in the world where, again, it's not reported on. I, I mean, the same week um, that unfortunately the people died in the Titanic a submarine, there were over hundreds of people who drowned. Yeah. But we didn't hear that narrative in the mainstream. Yeah. We uh, heard about rich people perishing, <clears throat> but we didn't hear about people who were on the other side of the spectrum. So that needs to speak really into our conscience as, as a country, as a nation. And again, I'll say this, I won't, because we can say, we can judge the world, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start from home. I'm going to start from the church. What is the church doing about this? And there's several churches that are working tremendously to provide places of refuge. But again, are we doing enough? Do we hear the stories of the members in our churches who don't look like us? who've come from different countries, are, are we allowing them to inform the narrative of even the preaching series that, that we do? And how can we be enriched by the richness of a God who calls people from every nation, tribe and tongue to come together? So yeah, Zimbabwe is at the heart of, of it's at the core of me, I'm, I'm Zimbabwean and I I'm really saddened with what's happening there. And I just want to really thank, like, for instance, again, we have a good relationship with our local MP, who is Sarah Owen and MP Rachel Hopkins. And they have been tremendous in, in fighting for people like Job Sikala, for fighting for people like Joanna Mamombe, Netai Maroa, Cecilia Chimbiri, and all the different women and men who have been experiencing torture in Zimbabwe. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes the British government continues to communicate with them and saying, oh no, we're trying to resolve things. So that can be quite frustrating. Yet there is hope in this because God is on the throne and he's never going to leave anything unturned. Wonderful. Thank you uh, for that really impassioned uh, call to action, but also that call to be involved in politics um, from our from our pulpits and from our churches. So thank you, um, uh, Reverend Charmaine Mkhlanga. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on, sharing your wisdom and your reflections and your and your passion, which really uh, shone through. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Ali. Thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Um, and yeah, it's been really, really um, an, an honour to serve in this capacity as well. And just being given the platform to speak enables other people to to have uh, their voices heard because some of these people that we've talked about are incarcerated and they can't speak up for themselves so if we can speak up for one person you've done that one amazing thing to restore um the dignity of our humanity where we see each other as a brother not as a thing and a sister wonderful thank you so much and uh, thank you to everybody else who's been joined us this week for politics in the pulpit and to ask that question of whether and more importantly how we should be doing that. If you'd enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and of course share this episode with your friends. We have some online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit 
And there's a Facebook group and you can access that through the Facebook page of the Joint Public Issues Team. And of course, don't forget the website, jpit.uk. That's jpit.uk. And the questions that we're leaving you with this week from our episode is, uh, where do you get your news from and whose voices do you hear? And who do you welcome? And how do we offer an authentic welcome and authentic hospitality? So let's go both into our politics and our pulpits this week with a blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully, and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.